Hello, I'm Joan. I'm a Canadian family physician who also works as a restorative medical educator, facilitator, and coach. I create spaces that rehumanize the work of healthcare. I'm creating this podcast to remind myself, as well as anyone else working in a helping profession, that when you are working and caring for your human patients, you are the other human in the room. Hello, healthcare humans. Thank you so much for coming back for another episode of The Other Human in the Room. It's another episode of The Only Human in This Van, in the sense that, as you can't tell from my heaters blasting and my turn signal ticking, I am driving to work. Um, I've had this idea for a topic to talk about on the podcast for some time. And then recently, I've had conversations with. Um, some newer clients that have really kind of brought this idea to a head in my mind um, and I need to talk about it. It needs to come out of me. And so I'm calling the idea guideline legalism. And so um, I should probably just give a backstory <laughs> about, well, I guess first I'll describe what it is that I'm seeing. Um, that I think I want to call guideline legalism. So uh, I've been having conversations with some folks, um, you know, some people that are are new clients for me. And um, one of the themes that a lot of people are feeling really down about and that often then feeds sort of imposter syndrome is um, the judgment of others, colleagues, in some cases, it's these are you know residents and it's their preceptors, um, people who are transitioning you know back from maternity leave or other kinds of medical leave, and like one of the things that really feeds their imposter syndrome is when other colleagues are like, "Don't you know that that's definitely not how you practice medicine?" And like, "Don't you know like that's like really inappropriate care?" Or like. Um, specialists being like, you know, this family doctor didn't provide um, the the right kind of care. And then probably family doctor saying this specialist doesn't know what they're talking about. Like it's a lot of uh, that going around, you know. And um, sometimes it's explicit, like people really just criticizing each other and saying like, don't they know that the guidelines have changed? Or don't they know that that's not what anyone's doing anymore? Um, don't they know that that's not the evidence-based way of doing things? Um, I experienced that. I was giving a talk for um, like a larger audience of family physicians and it was a talk that was just about like practical tips um, that, you know, uh, family physicians like myself can use to try and manage the very, very large, you know, excessive amount, excessive as in like more patients wanting care Um, because of all the viral respiratory illness that's been going around right and so it's like how do you deal with this this much um, escalated volume when you still are just one person and you're one team and you actually just don't have enough spots to see every single person who has a fever and a cough this past fall certainly and even um, even now it's slowed down a bit but you know there was a time where it was really just so ramping up and um one of the ideas that I wanted to share, I mean, the the notion of my talk was just me giving my practical tips, like the things that help me, the things that 
you know, help me manage the volume, manage the time. And one of the things I wanted to offer was um, that I do um, on occasion and depending on the day, lots versus little, offer people conditional prescriptions. I actually use that technique a lot. Like, um, here's a here's a medication, here's an antibiotic. If the symptoms don't go away in blah, blah days, then probably you need it. Or I use it even for not just antibiotics, but other kinds of things, especially like when it's a Friday, you know, and you're like, listen, you know, Murphy's Law is, I'm, I swear I'm not superstitious, but <laughs> if I don't give you this prescription for this medication, you will need it, you know. Um, if this pain doesn't go away, here's an anti-inflammatory you can use if you need it or whatever, you know, a conditional prescription. And um, the the people organizing the talk were like, oh, well, you can't say that because that's not evidence-based. And the, just the thing that was interesting to me about that piece of the conversation versus the rest of the conversation is that the rest of what I was going to offer was also not evidence-based. Like the entire talk was anecdotal. <laughs> like the entire talk was me being like, hey, here's what works for me. <laughs> and this was one of the things about, um, and this isn't a criticism of those folks in particular, I actually quite admire the folks um, who organize these talks. It's, it's more about because it was actually not even necessarily these people that like this was their opinion they were it was more they were like concerned about what other people would say and it's sort of like we as an organization need to present ourselves as evidence-based and following what the latest evidence the latest guidelines are right um otherwise people will criticize us or will be viewed as less legitimate and like all this stuff and i and i mean this is the same thing um as what I was describing that my clients have been through when like a specialist is like, don't you know that the latest guidelines say something different or someone has a locum and the, the locum says, don't you know that the latest guidelines say something different or you are a locum and the person you're working for, like all of this um, criticizing um, each other, how each other practice medicine in this way, in this way of like, don't you know that this is the right way and you're doing it wrong? Um, and sometimes that's explicit. We're like, you're doing it wrong. And sometimes it, they really are just saying, I do it a different way. And then because we're so primed to think that everything we're doing wrong is wrong is wrong, then we like take it that way. Like some of this is internalized as well. So I'm calling this whole phenomenon um, in what I've just described and talking about it what we do to each other in relationship to this phenomenon. But like the, the worst culprit for this thing I'm calling guideline legalism, we do internally, we do to ourselves um, because we've been conditioned to do it by everyone who's, you know, uh, told it to us. But I see it manifest as a lack of clinical confidence, uh, um, increased anxiety and worry about your, your, your worth, your, that's your imposter syndrome, all this stuff. Um, and, um, when it's internalized like that, the way it often looks is constantly checking with other people. Hey, how do you do this thing? What do you do? Am I following the right guidelines? I just want to make sure I'm doing it the most up to date. When I have this kind of specific case, is there a guideline for that? Can you point me to a resource that shows me the ABC step of how to manage when someone comes in with toe pain and earlobe pain and one nostril drips every other Tuesday? Like there must be a guideline for that, right? And I'm, I'm exaggerating, but that's how I think it manifests um, when it's not someone else criticizing us, but it's actually us trying to avoid 
being judged and criticized for this thing. And this thing is guideline legalism. So now I'm going to define what the heck I'm talking about. So I think we all know what I mean by guidelines. And whether it's literally a guideline or sort of a norm in medicine, or at least a thing that some expert or body of experts is positing as the norm that all other clinicians should adopt, right? Um, so it's this set of guidelines. Um, and by the way, right there in uh, the name of it, I mean, a guideline, it, you could think of it as you know, the lines on the road or, um, or a guide rail, right? So something where if you do something way off of what this says, you might be way off track. You might be now straying into dangerous territory where you're practicing medicine in a way that harms people or something, right? That's kind of, I think, why guidelines started to exist is um, I have not done a deep dive into the history of guidelines. If someone has, please correct. I'd actually be interested in where they emerged, <laughs> you know, cause like I can understand the notion, um, each of us practicing medicine and just trying to figure out what the heck we're doing. It's nice to have like a set of, um, recommendations that you can kind of check. Am I following these? And I feel okay. Right? Like that's, I think what we think of when we think of guidelines. Um, and then there's the word legalism. So legalism is a word that I learned and I think is really mostly just used in the context of religion. So a little like quick personal backstory on me is I was raised in a, a pretty fundamentalist, like um, pretty uh, rigid like uh, version of evangelical Christianity. And this won't be the podcast where I like totally deconstruct what that particular form of religion to, did to my brain in my life, but I no longer practice and I'm no longer identify as that particular religion. Um, and one of the terms that t- was talked about a lot is this term legalism, um, which I'm going to say my definition that maybe a theologian would disagree, but uh, legalism in that context is sort of people who take the Bible and they try and like follow it to the letter. So it's like, okay, but in Corinthians chapter two, verse three says this, and that means you can never, ever, ever do this thing. And then they'll have a debate like, well, did it mean this? But what if it meant that, right? Like, are you allowed to covet your neighbor's wife every other week? Does covet mean you have a stray thought about them? You know what I mean? Like, um, and I'm kind of teasing, but like literally there's like, there's probably a whole book about what it means to cover your neighbor's wife. Like people can get really like in debates about basically what are the rules, what is good and what is bad and very like clear terms. So it's like, you know, if you kiss uh, someone who's not your partner one time, then you're out, you know, or like whatever. If you lie one time, then you're you're out of the club or, or, you know, going to hell or whatever, right? Like, like very rigid and very focused on rules and on, and on using rules to judge who is good and who is bad. And, um, you know, way less emphasis on say like forgiveness, um, but really emphasizing the stuff that, you know, try the stuff that you do that you want to judge, does a person even deserve forgiveness or are they actually just too terrible to deserve forgiveness, right? And um, I really think the same kind of thing is happening in the medical world. And we've turned these guidelines into like a kind of Bible and not even like, this isn't slamming the Bible. I think people can use the Bible for inspiration in wonderful ways that have nothing to do about judging each other and judging ourselves. 
And just in the same way, like, I'm sure there's versions of using the guidelines where you're just like, you know, I just like, I'm curious what other people do and will that fit me and how I practice and I'm going to take what makes sense for me out of this and then I'm going to other stuff I'm going to kind of throw away because it says here it's only level C expert opinion evidence anyway so obviously this expert's opinion doesn't have to be lauded over my own it's basically just a suggestion right versus yeah maybe if something's level A evidence and has solid trials that this medicine versus that medicine seems to have greater benefit okay so I'm going to use this guideline to remind me this ACE inhibitor has superior evidence to some other drug, you know, like you see how that way of using guidelines is still um, trusting and centering your own experience, your own expertise through experience and knowledge, right? But you're not using it to, to guide whether you're a good clinician or not. And that's what I mean by guideline legalism. And I see it all the time. Like, People will like say like, oh, you know, that doctor isn't even prescribing blah, blah, blah. Or that doctor still is prescribing this other thing. And, you know, I'm not saying that I am not saying that there's no room for calling out or calling in clinicians who are practicing in dangerous ways. For sure. That's a good idea. But it's like not that. It's not like, wow, you're causing harm. It's just like oh, you don't see your diabetics every three months, but the guidelines say you should. <laughs> and it's, you know, actually, like, that's a really good one. We, we, we're, um, at least where I live in my province, we're incentivized to see people who have diabetes every three months because we get, like, you know, financial bonuses for it. And so then we kind of get conditioned to believe you're only a good doctor if you're seeing your diabetes patients every three months. But it's, like, good to question, like, did the studies test what happens if you see people with diabetes every five months, every six months? And are, is it like really that their diabetic control just really falls off a cliff if you <laughs> don't see them as often? I'm laughing. Almost, I'm laughing at myself because I know I ha- obviously, well, not obviously maybe, but because of the pandemic, I, ha- I, I was like quite rigid before about trying to get all my people with diabetes in and had doing lots of reminder calls and kind of that babysitter style medicine because I thought like this is how I prove I'm a good doctor I would get we get this practice report about like how many of our patients who have diabetes haven't had an A1C in the last six months and like I would view the people that that were on that list as like my personal failing see this is something that's telling me I'm not getting an A plus in diabetic management this this report told me and so I'm like trying to force people to come in who are like I don't even care that I have diabetes and I'd be like, oh no, this means I'm a bad clinician. If if someone found out about it, they would judge me as a bad clinician, you know? And then there there are times where, you know, um, I hear of or have experienced in the past people coming up and being like, oh, you know, Joan, I noticed that you don't always offer everyone with diabetes a statin. And I'm like, what's going on there? Like, don't you know that it's guidelines that everyone with diabetes are, is on a statin? And like, it's like this subtle kind of judgment. Like it doesn't have to be like, wow, you're bad. But it's like, oh, I think I'm helping you because I'm telling you that you're not following the rules correctly. That's actually the most sinister kind of legalism. And I mean, I experienced it a ton in the religious world of like, oh, I don't know if you know, but like listening to that band, that band is secular. That band is not Christian. Sorry if that's triggering for people had the same upbringing as me but it's like this subtle like trying to help you did you know that you're actually being a bad person I think you didn't so I'm going to tell you in this manner (laughs) 
Um, and by the way, if you have been this person and now you're like, excuse me, I was just trying to help them. I, I hear you. I have been you as well. Like I said, I was a very good, I didn't say this, but I was like an awesome evangelical Christian. I converted a lot of my friends to Christianity in high school. Thank you very much. And that included a lot of like, did you know that this, this, this is a sin, you know? So I cringe um, because I know what it's like to be like, oh, I'm sure you just weren't aware that the latest guidelines actually say that that's all wrong and therefore... I'm not saying you should feel terrible for being a totally negligent physician. <laughs> like the kind of know-it-all attitude. I am a recovering know-it-all. I'm a recovering, you know, guide, guideline legalism, you know, police other people a little bit in order to feel superior <clears throat> person. So, um, hey, if you're one of those, I'm with you. I've been you. <laughs> and the thing I've noticed about when I've done it to myself, so when I've gotten so anxious and so critical of myself, like, oh my gosh, I hadn't even heard of this new medicine. What's wrong with me? Now I'm so behind. Now I'm such, I'm such a failure as a clinician. What? There's a whole new set of guidelines for blah, blah, blah. And it's, they've been out for years and I had no idea. Oh my gosh, I'm an incompetent doctor. Like, you see how we use these as like standards and we use it as standards of if you're good or bad. That's what I'm talking about when I say legalism. It's so not useful. So like all of that, like I said, that's the inhuman story. Basically, the inhuman story to boil down is if you don't follow some random guideline, that means you're not a good enough clinician uh, to exist. I don't know. You, you should feel bad about yourself. Like that's the inhuman story. And we feel guilt and shame and anxiety and feel like we have to keep up with all the journals and all the guidelines. And it's not from a place of like, hmm, I wonder if there's new evidence of things that could like help my patients more, which I think that's a nice way to think about keeping up with the evidence. Lifelong learning is not lifelong learning in order to maybe someday finally feel like you know enough to feel good about yourself. <laughs> but instead like, oh, have there been new advancements in medicine that like could make my job easier or make my patients' lives better? I'll read a journal for that, right? And so that's the inhuman story is that like what we know and which guidelines we follow and if we're the perfect rule followers and we counsel every single patient on ABC, you know, drug uh, interaction. And I'm not saying it's not, listen, it's, it's nice to counsel patients. It's nice to know interactions, but it's like doing it from this place of like, if I forget one single detail of my perfectly curated stamp that has all the different guidelines in it, then I will have failed this visit. That's where I think it's, we've lost the plot a little bit because here's the thing, the real the truth is, like the healing human story I'm going to offer you is something I have said pretty much to every single one of my coaching clients. And I say to my colleagues all the time, they're probably annoyed at me. Medicine is heterogeneous, like period. And it always will be. Like each human who practices medicine practices it in a slightly different way. And not just in their like communication style, but in their clinical decisions. And I think there's some people who think that's a bad thing, but diversity is always a good thing. Um, I think it is wise to have not guidelines, but more rules of naming what is harmful to patients. Like I'm glad there's, you know, pretty strong like rules or guidelines that saying, I don't know, conversion therapy for people 
who are in the LGBTQ community, aka like therapy that's trying to convert them out of their genuine sexuality, like that's like definitely super harmful. I'm glad that rule exists and has and it has good evidence behind it. And like, yeah, let's make sure we're not using our position of power in medicine to harm people. Those sorts of guidelines are great. But when we then twist it around to say, listen, a group of, um, you know, experts in a field, as well as pharmaceutical companies and some other random people got in a room and decided this medicine is best and this dose is best and this is how often you should see people and this is how often you should repeat the test. Like, that is not then the standard of if you are a good doctor or not. That is a potentially, and not always, helpful suggestion list that you can now use your brilliant experienced expert brain to decide if it applies to A, how you practice medicine, and B, if it applies to the patient in front of you. That's the most important thing. Like, even if it, someone could give me an argument about how it could be a good idea that most clinicians would be working basically from the same set of guidelines. So there's like some uniformity. You see one doctor, they're generally going to give you the same spiel and the same menu of treatment than another one. Like I can see that that's pretty valid, but we're, that doesn't mean we're all going to now practice the same way, you know, prescribe medicine at the same rate, have the same outcomes because our patients are diverse. And it's really harmful for patients if we think we have to like whip them into shape so that they fit the guideline cookie cutter. That for sure is not helpful because each human is unique. That's like, that's one of the main ways that evidence-based medicine can accidentally cause harm is like, well, you know, like you try and choose your study population correctly, but a lot of times like there's certain studies that are used widely for all populations that were really just like upper middle class white males. And it's like, well, then everyone should be on this medicine because upper middle class white males in this one study, it helped them. That can really hurt people that were like, that doesn't apply to them. And there's factors there that make that, you know, regimen of treatment or that medication or whatever, actually it, it like literally won't work the same way in their body. Or it's, I mean, certainly harmful to suggest that approach based on their social context. Like, I mean, there's so many ways that we have to make sure we're checking is the evidence are the guidelines that I'm suggesting even applicable to this particular patient, right? This particular population to my particular country or my, you know, like that's the prop that is, it's so it's very, you know, colonial, very supremacist to say that every single clinician across the world should all be practicing one way. I mean, just, well, for the reasons I just listed, it also totally robs each clinician of trust in their own clinical intuition and trusting that they have a good sense of medicine, a good sense of their knowledge base, as well as their experience with people in general and this person in particular, and saying none of that matters. You just got to try and force them onto a statin. (laughs) You can tell I have a problem with statins. Not, I mean, listen, they have their place, but (laughs) their place in the guidelines. I'm not sure about them. Um, So yes. Okay. I feel like I just ended Am I out of steam? Maybe I'm out of steam. I'm almost at my office. You'll hear me uh, pulling into my parking garage and the beep of my, uh, the turnstile soon. I, um, 
I feel so strongly about this because I, it's such a major component about why people, they call it imposter syndrome, but I think it's really this, is they're feeling the detrimental effects of guideline legalism, like for real. So can we stop doing this to ourselves, to each other? Like what if, starting with yourself, right? If you're someone who finds that you often have kind of judgmental thoughts Um, if you've listened to this and are going, ouch, 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 I think I am like a guidelines legalistic person. And I'm always trying to help people and inform them in a way that now I realize probably makes my fellow clinicians feel really judged. Oh no. You know, the way it starts is, um, with yourself. And in fact, so say you have a person like that in your life, please know that underneath the reason that they feel so compelled to tell you, but these are all the rules and why aren't you following the rules? And don't you think you should follow the rules? And isn't everyone following these rules is because they think internally this totally toxic, horrible lie, which is that we are all supposed to have this completely uniform context, um, blind approach to medicine. And they're ignoring just the fact that, Medicine is heterogeneous and, and, and is diverse, right? Um, how we practice medicine is diverse and that is to be celebrated. Because what happens when you let go of guideline legalism or you let guidelines literally be suggestions, but you always center yourself and your trust in your own clinical brilliant brain is, first of all, you get your joy back because you don't have to triple check everything you do against an external standard. You can check a reference, right? But it's still centering like, this is what I know. Um, I want to see, do other people do it this way? Hmm. Oh, this person does do it the same way as me. And this guideline says no. Interesting. I think in this case, I'm still going to go with what I'm doing. Like, do you see how you can still check outside of yourself, but it, you're, you're not abandoning yourself and trust in yourself. You can trust that you, as you are now, know a ton and the care you're providing is amazing. Like I have clients who are literally caring for so many people, people who are thanking them, people who, who are so grateful there for their care, not exclusively. Also people complain, but like who are offering like amazing care at this time where like we really need people to offer care to other people. And then they're totally beating the crap out of themselves about it because it's not good enough, because it's not to the norm, because now they feel like they don't belong. Now they feel like other people are judging them. And it's just so sad. Why are we doing this to each other? And it's because we're doing it to ourselves. So um, anyone who feels the need to judge others is really harshly judging themselves. And so if you are there judging yourself, here's what you can do. You can remind yourself, okay, well, Joan said that I'm allowed to have a difference of opinion from anyone else. What if I was like a fully confident clinician? Like one question I used to ask myself, it was kind of a little trick. I'd be like, cause I'd be like, oh, I don't know. Is this the right or wrong thing? Will everyone judge me? And then I just asked myself, Joan, what would a conf- confident clinician do in this case? If, if you did already believe in yourself completely and just trust that whatever your brain offers is like solid. I also like solid choice versus like good or bad. It's, it's just like a solid choice. It's not like totally off the rails. It's not like intending to murder anyone. It's intending to help whether it does or not. It's a solid choice. One of many, what do you want to choose? And then I would choose that thing. 
And I just, I wouldn't feel confident. I'd still have all of this internalized like anxiety and beating myself up for all the rules, but I just like choose based on what I imagine. If I did feel confident, I would probably decide. And I would do that. And I would do that more and more. And doing that then allowed me to step into my confidence, like pretending to believe in myself and then acting that out and seeing that it went went fine. It was still great. Very rarely would things not, you know, go terribly wrong. And they were, you know, very rarely going terribly wrong before when I didn't trust myself at all. Maybe it has nothing to do with me, you know, Um, doing that process of like every time I'd be like questioning, question, question, just pausing. Okay, I know. Oh, it sounds like I've got a lot of guideline legalism going on in here. I'm just like really spinning about all these guidelines. What if this guideline doesn't know me and my patience as well as me? What if I pretend to be confident, make a decision, see what happens? Over time, it really does improve my confidence because confidence is self-trust. That's the definition I like better than the word confident. And the practice of self-trust, trusting myself to just make the choice despite all the noise, over time, it, it, it builds that muscle so that you do start to no longer need to view guidelines as if they are the word of God. <laughs> you know, instead, you can use guidelines of what they are, which is like a very imperfect, often quite biased, occasionally helpful framework that you can decide when it does and does not apply to the patient sitting in front of you and the brilliant clinical brain that you have. That's how I view guidelines now. I don't think they're bad, but I think they can be used in a way that's very bad as in very harmful, right? And so that felt good. I hope that helps somebody. (laughs) I see it often enough that I think it's like a common theme. And um, man, like with for our, our, our sweet like medical learners, I know you got to study something on the exam, but then I mean, that can cause so much dissonance when you're like, this is what the exam says to do as the ultimate right answer of all choices. But in practice, everyone's doing different things. And I kind of just for them, I just named like, that's correct. So obviously on the exam, they're going to only have one right answer because that's sort of the premise of exams. And until they figure out another way to do it, that's how they're going to do it. But out in practice, you just get to decide. You get to decide with each person what makes sense, what makes sense to my brain, considering this person's context. Which guideline do I want to try and apply or not based on what's in the room? Not having the room, not having the outside world dictate what happens in the room, but having what's in the room always take priority. That's like the ultimate work that I'm hoping I'm helping people to do because it's you and this human is sitting in front of you. You two know better than any other expert out there what will work right here and now. And so the guidelines are there to support that or they go in the trash. Okay. All right. I really hope that helps someone. It helped me to say it to myself. I hope you have a good day. Bye. Hey there, healthcare humans. I want to invite you to sign up for my course, How to Stop Worrying About Your Patients. It's a free five-day email course delivered right to your inbox where I teach you why worrying is optional, that it's not actually helpful for your patients, and that it's possible to reclaim your brain from worry and start enjoying your life in and outside of medicine. Go to joanchanmd.com course to sign up now. I'll see you in your inbox.